chapter 11, which is really different from chapters 9 and 10, because you've got kind of the, uh, the positive, encouraging, what God will do for his people and with his people and the blessings he gives his people, and chapter 11 is nothing like that. It's how he destroys and punishes. And I think that what you've got is that God's people are both the spiritual remnant and the physical mass. Now, the spiritual remnant, those are God's true people who are going to be blessed in Christ. But there are the physical Jews that won't be, that are rebels against the Lord, and they're going to be devastated. Thank you. There we go. And uh, so the blessings of Mount Gerizim always have to be matched by the curses of Mount Evil. You know, there's, there's two sides. And so, you know, he's blessing his true people, but this did not mean that all the Jews were going to be blessed through the Messiah. They would not be. And so, he makes no gradual transition here. He just, uh, after he says that in his name they will walk, declares the Lord, bam! We have the other side. So, uh, 1 to 3, chapter 11. Open your doors of heaven into the fire of the feet on your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen. Because glorious trees have been destroyed. Wail, O hosts of Bashan, for the invincible forest has come down. There is a sound of the shepherd's wails, and the glory is ruined. There is a sound of the unborn lion's roar, for the pride of Jordan, of the Jordan is ruined. Wow. So, uh, Lebanon was around what cities? Near what cities? Tyre and Sidon. Lebanon was well known then for what? Cedars especially, the forests. And so he commands Lebanon to open its doors for what? Whoa, that's kind of a uh, somber uh, uh, order, isn't it? Open the doors so the fire can devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen because the glorious trees have been destroyed. Wail, O oaks of Bashan. Where was Bashan? Know where Gilead was? Bashan is on the right-hand side of Jordan River, kind of the northern part of that area, alongside the Sea of Galilee and so forth. That was Bashan, very fertile area, and noted for its oaks, the oaks of Bashan would come down. And there's the sound of the shepherds wail, for their glory is ruined. God devastates Lebanon cedars and Bashan's oaks, there's no shade. For the, there's the sound of the young lion's roar, for the pride of the Jordan is ruined. Believe it or not, there were lions in the thickets of the Jordan, in the jungle area around the Jordan. But their sanctuary is taken away and the lions are in trouble. You know, they need the jungle. So this is just catastrophic destruction all around. What is happening? Why are things so bad, so different? Uh, why is the tone so much more um, punitive? Well, we're going to see in a moment. Do you have a question or thought on those first three verses? I think the next section will explain why God's doing this to the, the landscape. Uh, somebody want to read 4 to 14? Thus so said the Lord my God, to come, shepherd of the flock, doom of the slaughter. Those who buy them, slaughter them, and go and punish. 
And those who sell them will say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king. They shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. I took two staffs, one I named Favor, the other I named Beauty, and I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. I took my staff favor, and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And the weight out of my wages, thirty pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the Father. The Lord did Christ, at which I was Christ by them. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them in the house of the Lord, the Father. Then I brought my second staff in union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Alright, so we need to look at this from a couple different angles. So let's just start out on kind of the surface view. God tells Zechariah, pasture the flock doomed to slaughter. God's sort of making one last attempt to retrieve the nation from ruin because they've got bad shepherds. Those who buy them, slay them, and aren't punished. They sell them and say, blessed be the Lord, for I've become rich. You know, they fleece the flock and then they praise the Lord for their ill-gotten gain. That's uh, pretty bad. Uh, they, they have no pity on them. Uh, you know, everything is just going really badly. Uh, and God is uh, causing the flock to more or less self-destruct. So he's asking Zechariah, go and pasture this flock. Let's see what we can do with them. So verse 7, I pastured the flock doomed to slaughter. I took two staffs, favor and union. And I used them to pasture the flock. I annihilated three shepherds in one month, for my soul was impatient with them, and their soul was also weary of me. Now, given that the shepherds they've had are abusive and self-seeking and greedy, I'm assuming that his annihilating those three shepherds in a month is it shows his zeal and take care of the flock. He's dismissing. Uh, incompetent and uh, selfish shepherds in the interest of the well-being of the flock. So Zechariah is being a good shepherd and trying to do what he can to re rehabilitate the flock. However, after a month, my soul was impatient with them, their soul was weary of me, then I said, I will not pass you. Zechariah resigns. Now, I want to pause here and say something. You know, there's a lot of people who think that if a country just had a good ruler, things would be good. I think what we'll see here negates that. No, usually countries get the kind of rulers that they deserve. Especially a country like ours where we vote for them. You know, 
Who voted for him? We did. You know, who we votes them into office? We do. You know, maybe you say, well, I didn't know they'd be like that. Well, okay, but you know now. And uh, so, you know, a lot of times people are so bad, they wouldn't accept good leaders if God gave them to them. A lot of times churches, you know, you say, oh, if that church has had any elders, probably not. They probably have elders that pretty much reflect the nature of the church. So if they had better elders, they probably just wouldn't, wouldn't work together with them, wouldn't submit to them, things like that. So, uh, there, there are a lot of times, at least, where it, it's really not just the leadership. It's, you know, any leadership won't work because of the nature of the people. Well, I think that's worn out here. He finally just says, I give up. I won't pastor you. What is to die, let it die. What is to be annihilated, let it be annihilated. And those who are left, he one another's flesh. He says, I'm going to give you up to your fate. You know, you want false shepherds, okay. And so he takes the staff favor, and he breaks it, which breaks the covenant he made with the peoples not to invade and destroy his people. God's not going to shield them anymore. And then he said, okay, now look, I'm, I'm quitting, I'm resigning, uh, it's over, and, and it's up to you. He asked for his severance, but it's final paycheck. If it's good in your sight, give me my wages. But if not, never mind. You know, he basically says, you know, my employment's terminated. You know, I don't want, I don't want any more. I'm not going to work anymore. Just give me what you owe me. Or not. You know, whatever. Well, with devilish ingenuity, they find a way to break both of those. They give him 30 shackles of silver. The, the price of a slave gored to death by an ox. What's that say? You know, what if you work for a month for somebody? You work really hard and well at some, you know, skilled job. And uh, you decided, I can't, I can't handle this. And you say, okay, I work for you for a month. Pay me or not. And the guy says, oh yeah, I'll pay you, I'll pay you. It gives you 50 bucks if you work for a month. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? Insulted. Insulted. That was my word. Insulted. It's like, well, just don't pay me then. Don't do that to me. Don't tell me that's all you think I was worth. That's what they do. They're saying that a common slave would have been just as useful to them as what Zachariah. You know, they pay him as little as, as could, they could possibly do. And so he said, well, throw it to the potter, that magnificent price, which I was valued by them. He took it and threw it to the potter. You know, I, that was a fine price to pay. And he breaks his staff union that breaks the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Now, maybe you realized as we went through this that there's something a little deeper than just this experiment with Zechariah here. This is a prefiguring of Jesus. And you can see that. There is so much of, of stuff in the Old Testament that prefigures Jesus that is not even funny. Tell me, there, it's hard to come up with an Old Testament character that was righteous anyway that's not a, pre, a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus is the foreshadowing of everything about the tabernacle. Everything about the sacrificial system, everything about the feast days, everything about major events 
I mean, if we started really thinking about everything that was a foreshadowing of Jesus in the Old Testament, whoa. Well, here's one of them. Zachariah's work with the flock is just prefiguring what Jesus did. He came to be the what? The good shepherd. So he takes over the flock. They've had some pretty raunchy shepherds who sure didn't care much about the flock. So he takes over and he tries to work with them. And he tries to lead God's people back to God and take good care of them. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And nobody can snatch them out of my, my hand. But what happened? There weren't hardly anybody who wanted to be a sheep. They ultimately rejected him. And they crucified him. And how much did they pay for him? 30 shekels of silver. And where did that money end up going? To buy a potter's field. Whoa. You know, now Jesus was prefigured by Zachariah and this, whether there was ever 30 pieces of silver in a potter's field or not. But again, it's one of those cases where God rubs our faces in the fulfillment so we don't not, so we don't miss it. You know, he wants to make sure we get this. This is Jesus. You know, this is a parallel, this is a foreshadowing, and this is exactly what happened. They rejected Jesus' leadership. They didn't want him, and so he cut him off. If they don't want a good shepherd, all right, he's out of here. Now again, wow, you know, it's amazing the deep wisdom of God. You know, when you see all the types and foreshadowings of Jesus, you realize God had to, God was thinking about five million steps ahead as everything starts, un, un, you know, well, that's not the word I'm rolling, I want to say. Uh, that'd be a resilient uh, idea. But developing, that's the word. As everything started developing, and the Old Testament, God was already thinking about it all through time, and he had everything all set up just right, that all this stuff just leads us to Jesus. You know, Jesus opened the minds of the disciples in Luke 24 to find him in all the scriptures. And he is. And he's right here. Comments and questions on this section. So, if Zechariah is prophesying um, post-captivity, when he's talking about how God breaks the staff and he breaks his covenant with them, and then the, uh, he breaks the staff of the union between Israel and Judah, is this a retelling of the events of the past? I think he's just saying he turns his people against each other. They're going to fight and devour each other. Okay. Good question. Other questions or comments? I'm just having having a little trouble following the pronouns. So in verse 4, thus says the Lord my God. So that's that's God speaking. And then in verse 7, so I pastured the flock. But then in verse 8, who is the I that annihilates? I think Zechariah. That's Zechariah? That's what I would say. But Zechariah as a foreshadowing of Jesus. Right. Zechariah actually did these things is your understanding. That's my take. At least he's pictured as doing them here. 
That, to me, that's the least complex understanding, is to say this as kind of God's experiment trying to give them good leadership through Zechariah, and they didn't want it. They rejected his leadership, and so he gives them up. Any way you look at it, it's going to come out the same place in general. You know, some of these things, the shape of them we've got, trying to figure out how and when to apply them may be a little more complicated, but the idea of this, I think we've got correct. And uh, that's probably going to be the most important thing. Look at what he says there in verse 15. This is really part of the picture as well. The Lord said to me, take again for yourself the equivalent of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I'm going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing, seek the scattered, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing, but will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be lost. So God calls Zachariah to a second stint. But this time to be a foolish shepherd. If they reject the shepherd God gives them, then God will give them a shepherd that is not at all like a shepherd ought to be, who neglects the shepherd and neglects the sheep. I mean, the special responsibility of a shepherd is the perishing, the scattered, the broken. But this shepherd is so bad, he won't even care for the healthy and strong sheep, the ones that require the least effort. You know, normally a shepherd ought to give special attention to special needs sheep. But here's a shepherd who won't give attention to any sheep. That's the kind of shepherd he's going to give since they rejected the true one. In fact, here's the shepherd that devours the flesh of the fat sheep and tears off their hooves. I guess he tears the hooves off because he's desperate to try to get more meat. And an attempt to try to get the last possible morsel, every tidbit. He tears the hoop apart. I wouldn't think there'd be a lot of meat on that foot. But a greedy shepherd will go for it no matter what it takes. And so he says, Woe to the worthless shepherd, a sword on his arm and on his right eye. His arm's withered, the right eye's blind. You know, the arm that doesn't defend the flock will be withered. The eye that doesn't watch for the flock's safety will be blinded. That's what God ended up doing for his people that he disinherited, the nation of Israel that's rebellious, he just turns them over to wicked, bad, selfish shepherds and lets them all self-destruct. I'll have some more to say about this, but let me pause and ask for your comments and questions. Yes? Why is Union one of the names of the staffs? What's the significance of that? Well, he, he unifies the people. Okay. I think that's the idea. Maybe. Okay, so we're meant to see, we've just been looking at 9 and 10, the blessings on God's faithful people. So now we're kind of switching and we're looking at God's rebellious people and what happens to them. I think so. Okay. Yes, that's my take. Well, now think about this. If you look at verse 16, at the picture of a foolish shepherd, what if you reversed it? What would you see? Picture of a good shepherd. What should a shepherd be? 
He ought to care for the perishing, seek the scattered, heal the broken, sustain the one standing. That's, that's a good shepherd. I want to talk about just a second, that idea. There's several of these Old Testament shepherd passages that they're talking about shepherds in the sense of leaders of God's people. And several of them, like this one, like Ezekiel 34, and so forth, they really give you the picture of what a good shepherd's like. I think it's helpful to look at that. You know, I think it's important for us to have good concepts of shepherding. I recognize that you guys have shepherds in this group. Unfortunately, where I am, we do not. I think we may be growing a couple. I hope so. Uh, but, you know, I grew up with no understanding. From time to time, the group where I, had, where, where I was had elders. But we didn't much know what it meant to have shepherds. So think for a minute about what is the proper role of God's shepherds in churches. That's helpful not only for shepherds to know, it's helpful for the sheep to understand. You know, if we're going to relate properly to the shepherds God has given, it helps if we understand what their role ought to be. So we ought to see shepherds as the one who have special responsibility to take care of and seek and heal special needs sheep. And, and they're the ones who sustain and feed and strengthen the, the sheep who are doing well. That, they, they, they watch out for the flock and they protect the flock. You know, that really helps. I suspect some of you one day might become shepherds. It's good to know what you're aiming to become. Think about developing yourself for the role of really taking care of God's sheep, of really watching out for the sheep, of, of blessing them and building them up and protecting them. I think that helps in selecting shepherds. You know, every once in a while, um, well, I'll just use this illustration. I was in a church one time. We, we did not have shepherds. And one of the men in a business meeting said this. He was one of our older brethren. He really should have known better. But he said, well, I think it's time we have elders, and I think it ought to be so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. They have Christian children. You see a little bit of a fallacy there? As if that was the only qualification? You know, well, they got Christian children, they could be an elder. Well, if we understood a little bit more the role of a shepherd, the three, of the three men he named, one of them was, was conceivable. I could see that. I don't think he was quite qualified, but I could see where somebody could say it. The other two, whoa, whoa. And he thought that they could have been shepherds. Whoa just unbelievable. Because but he wasn't thinking about what the role of the shepherd was. He didn't understand that. It would have been obvious to him, had he really understood what a shepherd was, that no, they couldn't be shepherds. They didn't have those characteristics. They, didn't, they, they weren't able to do that kind of work. I think, I think it helps in selection. I think it helps in responding well to shepherds. If, if I'm a sheep in the flock, what should I expect when I'm struggling and not doing well? I would expect the shepherd to be there seeking me and correcting me and lifting me up and, and trying to get me back on the right path again. Some sheep may not kind of want to be on the right path. But the shepherd's going to be there trying to help the sheep be with the flock again and be where they need to be. You know, and if I'm doing well as a sheep, the shepherd's going to try to make sure I've got 
good good grazing ground, I'm going to be fed well and watered well, I'm protected and cared for. You know, the idea of, of godly shepherds is they care for God's people spiritually. I grew up with the idea that the elders were supposed to be the business managers of the church. They were supposed to just make sure, call the shots, make sure somebody was there to preach and somebody was there to teach and lead songs and make sure the money was spent okay and things like that. I hear people say, you know, uh, we pray for the elders that they that they'd, uh, they'd oversee the work of the congregation. Well, I think elders oversee the work of the congregation, but primarily elders oversee the congregation. <laughs> there are shepherds. That's the role that they ought to have. So I think this passage shows you what a shepherd shouldn't be, and the contrast shows you what they ought to be. That's just kind of a, you know, a, a thought I had based on that passage. Comments or thoughts on anything you get to do this? I, I would just agree with that. I think we, I, I grew up, maybe might have been in the same church you did, but, anyway. <laughs> um, but you know, we, we stick in Timothy and Titus for the qualifications of an elders, and those are certainly scriptural. However, Paul told the Ephesian elders when they were in the leaders to shepherd the flock, which God made you overseers and, and we don't ever think about well what does it take to do that that was, uh, right and so I think it's very scriptural to take talk about that as a qualification amen yes this is super helpful for us as sheep because the majority of people will probably never be shepherds um, although some will so what you said especially about if I'm having trouble as a sheep I should expect and invite and want the shepherds to come. Instead, it's like, oh no, like the elders are going to come get me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but no, like I want their help. Like I'm having trouble. That's exactly when they should come help me. Amen. Yes, exactly. Once you understand this, it makes perfect sense. And what a blessing to special needs sheep to have great shepherds. On the inverse of that, too, I've grown up in the same environment where they were just a board or a bunch of CFOs. Um, but when talking to them, too, uh, about about coming to them with problems, uh, they don't know that a problem exists unless we, the sheep, are willing to communicate with them. And there's almost a rift there between the, the sheep and the shepherds um, that they're afraid to approach them, or like like the sister was saying, you know, they're coming to our, uh, my house. You know, what what have I done wrong? Um, uh, which you know, that's a shame. But there's been very few times when I've had elders just come and visit, uh, and and just to check up on on me or my or my family, right? But we as sheep need to recognize their leadership and that they're they're in place for that oversight role, and that they can help us. If we confide in them, um, as we're told, confess our sins to one another, um, that's a great place to go to get help for ourselves and not to be quite so afraid of, of that interchange. Is any among you sick? Call for the elders of the church. I think you mean spiritually sick, and I think that's exactly right. They're not mind readers. When we need help spiritually, that's where we ought to turn. We ought to call for them. We ought to ask for their help. Great point. Other thoughts? Yes, Carrie. Um, you know, the, you've probably heard this before, but you know, an eldership is not a promotion of the deaconship. 
you know, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, um, because these are men who have to give an account for our souls. And that's where the, I think the gist of it is. We have the heart of a shepherd. You can have all these qualifications, but if you don't have a genuine love and concern for the brotherhood, and you don't go out of your way to be like that good Samaritan, to see that one on the road, are we treating others the way you know that we would like to be treated? If you were struggling, what would you like to, for others to do for you? Because that's the kind of heart that says, I care for where you are. I'm taking a spiritual pulse right now of where you are. And it's important. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to qualifications, we shouldn't think of those as being like arbitrary things God pulled out of the hat. He's really just saying, to be a shepherd, these are the qualities you'd have to have. If you didn't have these, you couldn't do that kind of work. And I think it actually sometimes helps us understand their work to look at the qualifications. Because when you stop and think about it, all each one of those is related to doing this kind of work. Without these qualities, you're not going to do a good job as a shepherd. It's kind of like, you know, deciding, I, I wouldn't make a good nuclear physicist. Because I'm not even about it. You know, and, and uh, having a degree in nuclear physics isn't just arbitrary. It's that, well, unless you've got this kind of training, how are you going to do the work? If you're not this kind of a person, then how are you going to be able to fulfill the role? I think that's more the idea of the qualification. Yes. Um, I don't know if this is the appropriate time to go off on a tangent, but... Um, well, I do sometimes. Yeah, I know. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to that. Anyway, uh, I've been a part of churches where it seems like the older people, not necessarily elders or shepherds, but older, older, wiser Christians are scared to contact younger people and get in their business. And I think younger people, we need older people to be aggressive and get in our lives and to encourage us and help us and just give us that wisdom even if we don't ask for it you know sometimes and and i don't know i've been frustrated with with you know and i'm sure older people are frustrated with me too but you know just that you know it seems like we get to an age and it's like wait you're not dead yet you know so why you know why aren't you living you know and helping us you know and I, I feel like, you know, sometimes maybe it's just scared, or I, I don't know, but I'm begging for older, wiser people to get involved and, you know, uh, encourage. Yeah, and, and that's a good place to say, you know, what would you think about this scenario? You've got a church selecting elders. Here's a person that's oh, a decent person. They've never, ever been involved in trying to work with people and help them grow or help bring weak people to strengthen them or people who are straying to come back or whatever. And, uh, but if you appoint them as an elder, they'll start doing that work. <laughs> well, no. It's not like that. Sometimes we think of shepherding as the exclusive responsibility of the elders. In other words, nobody else does any shepherding. That's the elders alone. I don't think that's true either. I'm looking at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Now, he's not saying that to elders. He's saying that to Christians. When you know you've got a weak hand or a feeble knee, strengthen that brother. 
He says in verse 15, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. He wasn't just saying that to elders. Christians need to uh, look out, watch out for each other, and see to it that nobody comes short of the grace of God, that there's no root of bitterness causing trouble. That's the responsibility of all of us, to help members that are struggling. And to help see the brethren have the right attitude toward each other, that nobody comes short of the grace of God. It's not going to be that suddenly you're going to flip a switch one day, and you get appointed as an elder, and suddenly I'm going to do shepherding work. You know, it's going to be, as I read years ago, Robert Turner write, that over a gradual period of time, the, the, some of the shrubs, you know, some of the, there's trees that, that emerge that grow out of the shrubs. You know, that there's just some men that that grow to have that spiritual heart, that love their brothers, and grow to have wisdom and understanding as how to reach out and how to help and nurture and strengthen and reclaim sheep that are struggling. And those are natural people to turn to when a church needs shepherds. You know, it, it won't be that suddenly, well, I get appointed and I'm going to do this. It's going to be the kind of people that you've been naturally going to. Because you recognize their wisdom. You know they love you. You, they're becoming to you and trying to encourage and help you. Not, not as trying to run things, but because they love you, they, they, they try to guide you. And, and I think that's the kind of mindset that, that needs to uh, be involved. Yes, comment. I think another thing to think about is at Broadmoor, we have elders, and personally, I think we have great elders here. And when you have good leaders that are working with a group, think to yourself, wow, we have such good men who are serving with us and, and helping us. But if you stop and think about it, you're really only one move or one tragedy away from one of those men being gone. And it's really not the, the process of good men serving among you. That's, that's not a eternal thing. They're yes. not always going to be yes. with the group. And so you think about the need for preparing other people to step into those roles. Amen. We're not always going to have somebody who, if you just think we have great elders who can teach Bible classes, well, if one of them decides to move or something happens or they're no longer serving in that capacity, who's going to fill in those needs? So just for all of us to be constantly thinking about that. Amen. Very good. Thing.